Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, No Rain Date listeners, and welcome to another episode of the News Roundup on No Rain Date, your local news and information podcast. I'm Josh Popachak, the host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Sock and Source, here with the headlines for the week ending June 5th, 2021. The big story this week has been graduation for Sock and Valley High School. The class of 2021 graduated on Friday evening in the school district stadium. And I'm happy to say that the ceremony was lovely. It was well attended. The weather actually turned out perfect for it, which did not seem likely earlier in the week. It was a very stormy week until Friday when we had quite a bit of rain earlier in the day. And somehow, miraculously, in the middle of the afternoon, that all cleared out. Some drier air moved in. And actually, the temperatures were quite pleasant for the actual ceremony, which began at 6 o'clock. Since Friday, it's gotten extremely hot. So they basically threaded the needle and had the ceremony in the you know 12-hour window of actual nice weather that we had between the rain and the extremely hot weather. They always seem to luck out in that regard, and I'm, I'm sure happy that they do because the kids absolutely deserve it. And I'm not sure what kind of backup plan there was if, if it rained. I never found that out, but luckily it wasn't. It wasn't an issue. There were about 160 graduates in this year's class at Saucon Valley, so it was a little bit smaller than the typical graduating class, which is usually around one 80, 185, something like that. So it was a a shorter ceremony, but very intimate and personal. I thought the speakers were fantastic. An interesting point that I took note of was that all of the student speakers, including the valedictorian, the salutatorian, all the senior class officers, and the student-selected class speaker were young women. And I cannot remember a single time when that's been the case in the past 15 years. I think I've only missed maybe one or two Saucon Valley graduations since 2006. And it's always been a combination of of boys and girls. Certainly, you know, not taking a dig at the boys by saying that it was great that, that it was all girls. But it seemed sort of fitting for this moment because... For one thing, recently in the primary elections, we saw a lot of women dominating and taking seats that had previously been held by men for various reasons at the local level. Bethlehem comes to mind, Bethlehem City Council uh, in that regard. So it's interesting that that all of the class of 2021's officers at Saucon Valley were female. In terms of COVID precautions, there was nothing heavy-handed that, that was in place, and I thought that was you know fine because it was outside. Some people wore masks. 
in terms of the people who attended it and they were seated in the bleachers at the stadium, most of the graduates did not wear masks, at least during the ceremony. They may have worn them walking in, but with the fresh air circulating and the chairs spaced a bit apart, it did not seem like there was any real danger from from COVID-19 spread at the ceremony. And of course, I'm sure that some of the graduating students are now vaccinated against COVID-19. The vaccine has been available to 16, 17, and 18-year-olds for at least a couple of months at this point, and it's now available for much younger children too. So that was kind of nice. It was just a relaxed type of setting. We have full coverage, of course, on SockAndSource.com. We have a story with nearly 200 photos. It has embedded video, including the live stream video that the district broadcast on YouTube. That was done because of capacity limits. Keep in mind that they had to plan this ceremony months ago when nobody really knew what the regulations would be on June 4th. They aired on the side of caution, of course. So it was mainly immediate family members who were in attendance and then others were able to watch it online. Personally, I I hope they continue to stream the ceremonies, COVID or not, because there are always going to be people out of state or, you know, for whatever reason can't attend. And it's great for them to be able to watch it live or to watch a recording later. So that's something that that we've gotten from COVID that I think is a a positive thing. So congratulations to the class of 2021 Saucon Valley. We shared some of the future plans of the top officers and the valedictorian. It sounds like they all have great, you know, success ahead of them. And, And I wish all of the members of this class and all graduates this year the best. They certainly did not have an easy last 18 or so months due to the pandemic. First, they missed school at the end of the 2019-2020 school year. And then this year was a roller coaster due to COVID-19 until the very end when things started to improve significantly. But that's really within the last month or so, one to two months. Many extracurricular activities were affected certainly the ability to socialize. Saucon Valley students were able to attend school in person five days a week throughout the year if they so chose, but there were many interruptions, especially earlier on in the year, due to localized outbreaks of COVID-19 cases among the students. And so then for a week or so, they would have remote learning and then they'd come back. But, you know, that's obviously far from a typical educational experience and what will the long-term impact of these disruptions be? I think fortunately for these older students, it won't be as great as it's been for the younger students, but we really won't know for some time to come. So I hope that it will be minimal, but we don't know yet. Things are picking up with the lifting of restrictions in terms of events and The Saucon Valley is no exception. On Saturday, the Saucon Valley Community Yard Sale was held, and from what I understand, it was a big success. This was the first time it was held since 2019, because in 2020, 
due to COVID-19, there, there was not a lot of yard sale activity. This year, we had nearly 100 yard sales as part of the community yard sale in Hellertown and Lower Saucon. It's a little below the last time it was held, but all in all, I think that's a very respectable number considering that some people probably still don't feel comfortable having a lot of strangers, you know, coming onto their property, potentially not wearing masks and touching all their stuff that they're trying to sell. So I think if everything had been back to normal at this point, it would have been well over 100 sales taking place. But we had a great list and a map of all the yard sales, which I hope our readers found helpful. We published that earlier in the week. And the yard sale, of course, is sponsored by Trish Husted of Coldwell Banker Harside Realtors in Hellertown. Trish has been a great community partner in terms of sponsoring the yard sale for many years. We appreciate that, and and we had a great time working with her on coordinating this year's coverage of the sale. And if you went out, I hope you found some bargains. It did get hot by midday, so I think some people sort of maybe packed it up a little bit early. The yard sale technically went until 2 p.m. on Saturday, but by about noon, it was already close to 90 degrees with this heat wave that we're, that we're now getting. So it was better if, if you were out there earlier in the day, and of course, that's usually when you find the best bargains. But I did not get out until a bit later, and it was, it was slowing down. Sunday, there was a concert in the park South Penn Dixie, a local country band, performed the first free music in Dimmick Park concert of the summer. These concerts are organized by the Hellertown Lower Saucon Chamber and presented by Steel Club and other sponsors, including Saucon Source. This was the first of four concerts that will be held this summer. The next one is July 11th. Then there will be another one I believe in later July and then another one in August so we have a story about all those dates and of course at each concert there are food trucks there are beer and wine purveyors so you can enjoy uh, an adult beverage as they call them if you so choose obviously the weather does play a role in attendance at these events Sunday was another very hot day It may have been uh, down a little bit because of that, but hopefully we'll have good weather for the remaining concerts and also for other upcoming outdoor events, including outdoor movies. Those seem to be getting more popular every year. The Hellertown Lower Saucon Chamber is planning two outdoor movie events. They call them Sunset Cinema in the park. One is going to be at Dimmick Park in Hellertown, and the other is going to be held at Town Hall Park in Lower Saucon. They partner with a local company, Mobile Technology Graphics, on these outdoor movies. And those guys are busy with their business, but they're also busy giving back uh, to the community. They also provided a, a jumbotron for Saucon Valley graduation on June 4th. So shout out to Mobile Technology Graphics for doing that. It really makes a difference to be able to look at the big screen in the stadium to see the close-ups of the students. So that was great. But in terms of the outdoor movies, we have a story about the Hellertown Chamber Sunset Cinema Series. And we also have a story about 
outdoor movies that will be screened at the Promenade Shops at Saucon Valley. And that's a separate series, but they will be showing several family-friendly movies outside in the space between Old Navy and I believe it's Barnes and Noble. They're going to close off that road and then people can sit outside there. With all this hot weather, people are of course thinking about swimming and pool season. There is a lifeguard shortage which is impacting some local municipal pools. I've read several stories about area pools that may not be able to open for their regular hours because of lifeguard shortages. And the borough of Hellertown did send out an email several days ago saying that they are still looking for lifeguards. So hopefully Hellertown won't be impacted by this shortage. They are scheduled to open Saturday, June 12th at noon for their 2021 season. And I know a lot of people are looking forward to that. The pool will be open daily weather permitting from noon to 7 p.m. through I believe it's August 22nd and so you have about two and a half months to get your swimming in at the historic and very large Hellertown pool which is located on Durham Street across from Dimmick Park. The pool is one of the older swimming facilities in the area. It was built in 1939, the tail end of the works progress administration and it's really a a gem it's a beautiful pool just to look at and so is the surroundings because it is in this beautiful park-like setting with large trees nearby you can go across the street and enjoy the playground in Dimmick Park there are picnic tables nearby so it's quite a popular place especially for locals but also for visitors and uh, it's uh, the pride of Hellertown, you could say, to have a facility like that available. Uh, Turning to some police-related news, sadly, we reported on another triple fatal accident this past week. This happened in Haycock Township, Bucks County, near Lake Nakamixon. It happened Friday evening on Route 563, which is a road that runs parallel to the lake's north shore between Route 313, the main road between Quakertown and Doylestown, and Route 412. So it's sort of a, an isolated roadway. There's not a lot of homes along it. I know that Pennsylvania State Police at Dublin are seeking witnesses or anyone with information about the crash to come forward. Uh, they have not released a lot of information about it yet, but the three fatalities included two young men from Upper Bucks County. They said one was from Ottsville and one was from Quakertown. In the other vehicle were a man from New York and a woman from Rockaway, New Jersey. Tragically, the woman died as a result of the crash. The man who police said was 26 years old, is 26 years old, was airlifted to Thomas Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia. I understand he had very serious injuries, so expect more information to come out about this accident in the coming days. 
the police did close Route 563 for an accident reconstruction on Friday night, and it was closed for a number of hours uh, due to the serious nature of this crash. I learned later, uh, I did not report this uh, initially, but there was also a dog in one of the vehicles which survived and will recover. The dog was taken to Quakertown Animal Hospital, so that's just a small bit of good news and a very tragic story. Another police-related story we had, also out of Upper Bucks County, concerns an investigation by the Richland Township Police Department into the passing of a counterfeit bill at a local restaurant. Police circulated security images from Kathy's Country Kitchen, which is on Route 309 at Melody Lakes, north of Quakertown. They did that to show the woman who they say used a phony $100 bill to pay for a meal there and pocketed $87 in actual change, real money. Some readers I noticed uh, when I shared this story on Facebook questioned whether the woman may have actually been a victim herself and not known that she was using a counterfeit bill. The thing about the story that makes me question that theory is that police said that she also left a counterfeit note as a tip. So, you know, you could have one counterfeit note and not know that it was counterfeit. What are the chances that you would, by chance, have two? In other news, in the business community, Chef Joe Stout is preparing to open his own location for his Chef Street Kitchen and Chef Meals businesses at 56 West Water Street in Hellertown. You may recall that Chef Joe was partnering with the Dewey Fire Company in Hellertown as their caterer to provide food for the new bar at the Dewey called Frontline at the Dewey. That partnership has ended, and in order to pursue new opportunities, Joe told us that he was leasing the space which is actually around the corner from Saucon Source, as I said, on West Water Street, in between Saucon Valley Karate and Kindred Spirits Books and Gifts. So there's a nice row of businesses there now that also includes Maple Street Woodworking and the beer distributor on the corner. The space that Joe is going to be in was formerly home to another food business, I'm Hungry Food Truck and Depot which closed at the end of 2020. There was already some set up there, but he's renovating the space and he's going to use it much in the way that he was using the the kitchen at Dewey as sort of a shared kitchen space and an incubator where other startup food businesses can create their food items. One of those businesses is Bam's Carrot Cake which we've written about, and they're going to be with Joe at his new location. So that's exciting. Those are the headlines for this week. Thanks for joining us. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership 
is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members and thank you for considering becoming a future member. It's my pleasure this week on No Rain Date to welcome our special guest, Dr. Robert Robinson, who was appointed the inaugural Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Northampton Community College in February. So thank you for joining us. I'm honored to be here. I appreciate this. This is a wonderful opportunity to kind of network virtually with people. And so I appreciate this opportunity that you've given me. Absolutely. Well, as soon as I I got the news release from NACAC, Northampton, I knew that I would want to interview you because it is sort of a history-making move on their part to create this position. And I guess that's kind of what I wanted to start off with and then get into your background a little bit. But what what were the factors that led the college to create the position that you now hold? And, and then how did you find out about it and what sort of drew you to it? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the university has had a diversity office. That person was in a director capacity. That person left for another position. And as the course of the of the institution, like we have diversity committees, we have caucuses, which are different interest groups. There were a lot of people who was like, hey, we definitely want this position to be filled, but we would like to be filled in a cabinet capacity. So Dr. Erickson believed in, in the recommendation, took the recommendations of the diversity committee and others. and said, yeah, you're right. This position needs to be have a little bit more solid footing within the, the structure of the institution and for it to be a, a vice president position. So so I got this position on this level because of the constituents on campus, because of the president believing in, in this. So I think it's a really great position to be in, being able to have direct access to the president, being able to work with within the cabinet to make sure that diversity is front and center of a lot of different things. I found out for a position just like I was looking at some other job things and I saw this one and I was like, man, Pennsylvania. <laughs> so uh, I've, I've lived in the South majority of my life. I've worked at college. I'm, me and my wife originally from Mississippi mm-hmm. and um, worked in Alabama and in Georgia in higher education. So I've never lived in the North. 
But wow. what fascinated me so much about the position was when I looked at it, I'm a product of a community college. I was a community college kid, and if it wasn't for that two-year experience, I would have never went to college at all, right? I wasn't prepared for a four-year institution. I wasn't prepared for it financially. I wasn't prepared for it academically. I just needed a cushion, and so the community college was a great opportunity for me at that particular part of my life to get my confidence and, and a lot of things together because there was really incredible teachers at my community college that really mentored me and gave me the confidence to move on academically. I had a community college teacher who told me one day I would be Dr. Robinson, hmm. and that is something from a person whose parents didn't go to college. That was something that was just un. Thinkable, and <laughs> um, and she ended up being right about that. So that that changed my life. And maybe she was right about maybe because she said that I became that. But it's it's a remarkable situation. So it was a great opportunity for me and the values of the institution and, and looking at the where it's going and 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 Northampton is just an amazing institution. The more I researched it, the more I was thoroughly impressed with it. And when I went through the interview process, the more I talked with people and students, it just seemed like an ideal location, regardless of the snow. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's got to be an adjustment. And you came during one of the worst winters we had in years, so <laughs> got right into yeah, the that, thick that, of it. That is, that is so funny, because I had had a conversation throughout the interview process. I was... You know, you have these sidebar conversations and you were talking to people like, hey, you know, how's the snow, right? Because that's the question my friends and family asked me. You're thinking about going to Pennsylvania, man. What about the weather? And I was asking people, oh, we pull out our snowblower in two to three years. And I was like, oh, okay. Then all of a sudden I get this position and, man, it's like a historic thunderstorm, uh, historic yeah. winter. So it was, uh, it was wild. First day was a snow day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's definitely a different one one big difference between here and there. Um, how would you compare since you started your education at a community college? How would you compare that community college with Northampton? Was it small? Was it because Northampton is is a relatively large community college with a lot of programming compared to some. Yeah, I went to a very small community college, and the resources that my community college I went to in Northampton on nine-day difference, I would think comparison. The only thing that I would say would continue was the quality of the people. Really, people who are in this to change the lives of young people. I think it's the constant. So I, that was like that in my experience. As a student, and that's my experience currently with where I'm at now, you, you see people who are doing this for the love of, of students and, and to make a difference. So those things are like, but resource-wise, no, there's, there's no comparison to what amazing things that Northampton has to offer students. We had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as a speaker. And so that is an, that is an incredible opportunity. And, and they have a, we have a speaker series. and. And most community colleges don't have speaking series. So there's a lot of just incredible things that Northampton offers our students there. It's just incredible. Was that just recently that, that Kareem Abdul Yeah, we had Kareem Abdul just recently, yes. Oh, wow. I'm sorry I missed that. Or are the are the speaker series just open for students right now? Or 
No, it's open to the community. We send oh. things out. Anybody could have just logged in and, and been a part of it. So it's it's an incredible resource for the community. There were some people in the community that participated, but it was virtual. And right. So, but it's just one of a lot of different things. We had like an incredible amount of programming. I came in doing February, a lot of great speakers in-house and off-campus that came in. So we do a lot of really great things at Northampton, not just to expose our students, but to expose the community as a whole. So it's it's really amazing. The college absolutely does a fantastic job of of having programming and, and making it available to the community. And I read all the news releases and definitely try and promote things when I'm able to that I think people would appreciate. And we appreciate that so very much. Well, absolutely. I'm happy to do it. I'm wondering, looking, going back a little bit, like if for something like, like the position you're in now, if it helps to have somebody like you that's coming from a totally different area, because I would imagine that you can sort of see things through a different set of eyes at Northampton, as opposed to somebody that has spent their entire career there or is even from this area. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I've been told that in meetings that I bring a fresh perspective, which I think is good because you are seeing things in a different way. I think sometimes we have a habit of, in any institution, sometimes we get to a point that we do things out of tradition not out of efficiency, but out of tradition, right? Oh, we've always done it this way kind of deal. And one thing I would say about Dr. Erickson is that he is, he's always looking for the better way to make the institution grow and develop. And, and so he's open to, to always new ideas, new concepts. He just wants what's best for the students, what's best for the faculty, what's best for the staff, so. Right, well, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Going back to your childhood, was education something that was stressed as important? And how did that ultimately affect the path that that you found yourself on? Well, that's a very interesting story. My father had no formal education. I grew up in a really rural South, right? And so he just never got a chance to really get an education. He worked at a sharecropper, right? And so when his when his mother and father died, he was the oldest and he inherited that debt, which is a weird thing, right, in America. So he inherited that debt and he had to work while his brothers and sisters were adopted. And so he had to, he literally had to one away like a slave one and he had to wow. reinvent himself without a formal education. So he never really got a formal education. My mother had some education. So in my house, it was, you really could see how important education was. Like they really wanted their children to have opportunities that they didn't have. And so they really feel that to us to, to try to change your life. Because education is not just a degree on your wall. It's really freedom. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really the freedom of being able to express yourself and to know things and not taking people's word for things, to be able to interpret things. And when someone doesn't really have that freedom, they want that freedom for their own children, right? They want you to be able to say, hey, you, you need to be able to know these things in your life without 
without having to depend on people and having an education. So that that was very instilled in us as uh, very young to try to to do that. They wanted you to have the choices that they didn't have, in other words. Yeah, very much. They wanted to have opportunities for their kids. For me, it was this typical moment in my life, maybe like fourth or fifth grade, before I was even going to go into middle school, that came in and set my mother down and said, hey, you know, your son didn't do well on these tests. And so as he's he's going to eventually transition into middle school, and so our best thought process is for him to go into a vocational track. You know, he won't get a degree, a high school diploma, but we can, you know, give him some sort of training, and then eventually he could probably go into some kind of vocational field after high school, possibly, so until that point. And so she was like, no, I talk to him, right? She said, I talk to this kid all the time. He's, you know, he's, he's he can do the work. I'm like, no, 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 the, trust me, he's not even gonna make it out of middle school, right, if he if he follows this track. And she's like, mm, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so, she, you know, she's like, mm, you know, right. you're the ones with the degrees. I. I I understand that, but I talked to, there were eight of us. I got eight kids. I know my children. This one can do it, right? And so that changed the whole course of my life, right? She told these people that I could make it into middle school, which I did, and I could make it into high school, which I did, and I could make it into college and bachelor's and master's and a PhD later um, here, right? So having that person to have faith. She could have easily been like, these people have these, this education and, and they could easily know it all and I could be doing something else. The sad part is I wasn't that good at shop, so I've been a terrible carpenter. Right? <laughs> I was terrible. So I've been like, the, the, every kitchen table I would have made would have been uneven, right? I wasn't that good at that either. So I was like, Lord, I, I wouldn't be able to do anything uh on that level but so they did have a lot of my, my parents really believed in education and and in that point she really bet on me mm-hmm. so that's an amazing story that really it, it touches on a few few subjects i think that that are critical i mean you have the subject of tracking and you know how how does that impact you know so many you know children's lives and, and you know your mother was an advocate for you in that situation but you know, I'm sure not every parent is able or willing to do that. So it's certainly right. And that's a lot of pressure to, to stand up in front of these people who's telling you, you know, this is my job to tell you that this child is not, you know, this is not going to work to look in their face and say, mm-hmm. yes, this will. You know, that's a lot of courage, especially when you don't of- have an education yourself, a, not right. a higher education. Yeah, that's amazing. Did your siblings also like go on to college and higher level education? There were eight of us. Out of the eight of us, four got some college. They, they did the community college. And I have one sister out of like the eight of us who got have her master's. Hmm. But the rest, it was just really tough. Mm-hmm. Just caught in a, a really tough cycle of being in a very poor area and, and a lot of different things happened. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a little bit familiar with that area. I've spent a little time down there, Lexington. I had have family in that area, so got to see it a few years ago, and and it was pretty, pretty eye opening. Just very different from from here. 
It is. It is a very stark difference. It is a very, very stark difference. Some people get so institutionalized in poverty, which means is that they they never think they'll ever get out of it. You know, they just believe that they'll never get out of it. Like it's like overwhelming them. Like it's like, oh, I would never, you know, I'll never get out of this situation. There's nothing's gonna happen, you know. I'm gonna be in the apartment complex across the hall from my mom. I'm, I'm gonna do this, and it's like a system of like this is how my life is gonna be, a caste system, right? Like the book, the caste, right? It's so right. you just perceive that this is just how your your lot in life is gonna be, and really, not to try to go down this spiritual path, but you have to have faith in yourself and a and a belief. For me, the hardest thing was to believe that I can change my life. And once I realized that I had the power to change the course of my life, it opened up a lot of opportunities. But I had to first believe that. Like, that's the first step. I think, like, Journey Truth said, that I freed hundreds of slaves. I would free thousands more if they only knew they were slaves. Like, once you knew that you can get away from this system, like, you can do something. And that's the power of education. Like, uh, for a lot of people, we put kids, we assume that kids want education, right? But the reality is, is that there are a lot of kids who have tough conversations with their family every day about going to Northampton or anywhere else because they're saying, hey, you could be, you could have a full-time job working somewhere right now and you and you taking four or five hours out of your a solid work day to go to school. And they have to say to them, but in the long run, I'm developing this trade because we have vocational trades that they have to know I'm getting this associate degree that's going to lead me to a four-year degree. I can have better benefits. So we have a lot of options for people, but it still takes the faith that if you put in the work, you can you can get a reward. But it's, it's, it's denied gratification until you can finish that point. And you got to have faith that, that this work will lead to greater opportunities. And that's tough for people. It's tough for a lot of people, well, but that leads to the opportunity to get out. I'm wondering, hearing more about your story, and you talked about the institutionalized poverty, did you encounter, like, well, institutionalized poverty is sort of, goes hand in hand with institutionalized segregation and, and racism, does it not? How do you separate those things? It was very understood segregation, right? Like when my high school, we had a black homecoming queen, we had a white homecoming queen, we had a, they don't do that now, but I mean, we never did anything as a collective group. Like, you know how seniors have a senior skip day, mm-hmm. but there was a senior white skip day and there was a senior black skip day. <laughs> we couldn't even get that together, right? It was, so it was very much a sense of, you know, things were divided a lot in the Delta, which has a significantly high African-American population, but things were clearly defined, right? As this is black or white, or this this is upper class black, you know? So everything was clearly kind of mm-hmm. clearly put in different boxes. Did so you think that was normal at that. the time? Like, or did you think that was not right? You know, me at that age, I was been like, well, I didn't, we get, the DJ that we wanted was kind of the what I was thought at that particular age. But it was very fascinating to me. It was so fascinating to me that that thought 
was the reason for my dissertation. Like my dissertation was the impact of sports had on integration, right? And so I remember sitting in the cafeteria, which is, you know, the lunch hour at the King of the King said the, the most segregated hour of the day at twelve o'clock, right? So mm-hmm. I was sitting in the cafeteria, you know, kids in groups, and I would always see the football players eating together, which was white and black guys eating together because. I think Coach Murphy was the head coach back then. And so he made his players eat together, always eat together. Football team always eat together. And so you saw black and white people sitting together, talking together. And do, and we had classes we sat together, but to see them in a social environment together was like, oh, okay. Right? And so years later, that, that thought of, that was what what the sports do to people. What the sports help people come together, and so so that that that's very important. But I I would see that, and I was like, maybe we should get more of that. And but it was it was a very interesting dichotomy of of, of race in the Mississippi Delta. Yeah, no, I and I can I can relate to what you're talking about because I saw that you know the divisions whether it was the churches you know this was a black church and this was a white church and and that was foreign to me because maybe we have that here but it's not so uh blatant i guess yeah it's clearly defined right growing up you knew if somebody didn't want your business so you just would walk out that store you knew if someone if you were in a neighborhood you didn't they didn't want you in you you know so it was clearly defined. So in some ways you, you have this very honest relationship with people. People are very honest with each other. They they clearly let you know in a very southern way, right? That, you know, you're not this is not what you want and you know where you stand with people. In another way you say to yourself, like, how can this person determine me by just the color of my skin, right? How does this person know that they would be uncomfortable with me? just by the color of my skin. So it's it's weird. It's very weird. I'm sure. I want to mention the fact that we are actually having this interview on the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. And while, you know, that may seem a world away from Northampton Community College and the education students are receiving there, I don't think that it's totally disconnected from education anywhere. Certainly that's become a divisive issue in the past year. How do we educate children, particularly in public schools, on issues of race? What are your thoughts about that? I'm seeing like a lot of things about the 1619 Project, for example, and (laughs) critical race theory. Um, And and a lot of Southern uh, state legislators uh, are attacking the six. projects. Right. It is really crazy. Well, first of all, I want to say one of the things that, and you mentioned one of the things that attracted me to the institution was that when I was on the website, I I saw a statement from Dr. Erickson, uh, the university president, about George Floyd, right, about social justice. And I was like, man, the president would take that kind of initiative to, to talk about that. That's kind of a person I would like to work for. And the other thing about it, I think you know, we are really have done a really poor job, particularly in the South, about explaining race relations, explaining history, right? We're afraid of words like privilege. We're afraid of the words like slavery. We don't want to talk about these things. 
And what we have determined in a lot of cases is that we need to, if you are a white kid or a white teacher, you must somehow explain what people were thinking about slavery or the institution of slavery as, like, you have to defend them. You, you owe this obligation to defend these people. But the reality was not every white person owned slaves. The reality is, is that slavery did, was no great benefit to every white person. Matter of fact, it made their life worse for poor white people because they couldn't get jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, slaves were brought in an apprenticeship, so you wouldn't get learn how to be carpenters, all the things. So slavery was not this great blessing to the white Southerners. They didn't benefit from it. They didn't have a lot of land ownership. After slavery, public education came to the South, right? There were no public schools in the South. And there were land grants given to people after in the South to distribute land. And so the best thing to happen to the majority of Southerners was the end of slavery. But we make this grand history about how great this was and the lost cause of the Confederacy. It's really a, a lot of romance that really wasn't did not exist. We should really look at history through the true prism of who we were and are and be honest about it. We should be honest about the relationships we had as, as Americans to Native Americans, right? We should be honest with the relationships we had with immigrants who came here and how we treated immigrants when they came here. We should have an honest discussion as it relates to the Irish and the Italians and the Asians who came to America as immigrants and what happened to them. You should have an honest discussion of what happened to slavery. And after slavery, Jim Crow, you know, and what happened all this other time throughout history of civil rights in America, right? We should have an honest discussion so kids can kind of know why things are the way they are. Because if you look at the footage of King, you see him in black and white and you think that was a hundred years ago. You know, my father went to the march on Washington, right? Mm-hmm. Not my great-grandfather. My father went to the march on Washington, right? And so it's, this is not a, a million decades ago, right? Some of the latest, some of the last civil rights bills were passed in the late 70s, early 80s. So this is not like distant history. This is history right now, right? And so we are still fighting for a lot of understanding and, and having this but I think, you know, trying to literally whitewash history is just crazy. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm a history student my whole life and history major in college. So I'm, I'm very concerned about things that I see happening in public education just broadly, not just in the South, but we're seeing it everywhere now. It's being used as a political football for lack of a better term. And I feel like th- I'm afraid that students are going to be shortchanged in the process. So that that obviously affects them when they get to college. And so it, you, you can't, you know, obviously disconnect the public education from what you're involved with. It will make your job harder, obviously, to have students coming in who are less informed about, you know, multicultural history of the United States. Yeah, it's because everything is based on on the prism of on the foundation of history, right? And understanding things 
like if you take the 1619 project if, if you understand like the the understanding of why things happen what culturally these things say about us what stereotypes come from different things and you find out why certain words are offensive right because if you know the history i mean you could take an innocent word like um boy right you know bob dylan would say you know how many roles was a man go before you recognize a man as a man right that's beautiful mm-hmm. right that's pure poetry bob dylan right and that is so important because they would call grown men boys right they would demasculate them to right. the point that they're not a man right and they would not use mr or miss not even in the court of law in the south hmm. uh, <laughs> you know to be recognized as a mr or a miss and so it's important to understand the history of words it's important to understand why people want to be recognized as Mr. such-and-such or Dr. such-and-such, because historically they may not have had those opportunities. And so words are important, right? And so if you understand words and the history behind why people are upset about certain things, you can understand people better. The same way we don't say bomb on an airplane is because of the history of knowing about 9-11, that word does not seem appropriate to say on an airplane. And sometimes certain words are not appropriate to say to other people, right? Right. And it's because of uh, such a long history of hatred and bigotry being used in a certain kind of way. So history, I think, is the foundation of understanding people, understanding history with personal experience narrative and other things, because those things tie into why people were so just not shocked. Like when the verdict came in for George Floyd, the, the officer, I was 100% typing, like, thinking about what can we say to de-escalate what probably would be an innocent verdict, right? Mm-hmm. Not thinking this person is innocent, but just thinking, like, what can we say to our students to let them know I understand that, you you know, you feel distraught about this. and mm-hmm. But, you know, because how many times in the course of my life have I seen those cases go the other way, regardless of the video evidence or other things, right? So the history has totally tilted me to believe that I, I just didn't believe it was going to be... You weren't the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I totally can relate to that. And thinking about words, and you're so right, I mean, I'm thinking back to a year ago, or almost a year ago, and like, you know, you had people protesting, like, face-to-face. One has a sign, Black Lives Matter, another with a sign, All Lives Matter. You know, those words are so similar, but they had such different meaning. They took on such different meaning because how they were being, because of how they were being used. And that's just, to me, like, just a powerful symbol, sort of, of of what we went through and, and what we're still going through. How do you, you can't police words. How do you, in your role at the college, create an environment where people want to make the choices of, of words that are going to be inclusive without coming down like, you know, I'm the word police? Yeah, you don't want to, to be the diversity police on things. I think a lot of times 
I, I'm a believer that a lot of people in their heart of hearts want to build better relationships with people. And so if you say to someone, if you use this language, people will assume you this way. But if you use this language, they're assume you're that way, right? And so, and there are a lot of people on social media who just are very harsh about correcting people to a whole new level. But I think we need to have conversations about communicating and how to communicate with people and just let people know in a way of teachable moments. Mm -hmm. You know, I think things will go better if you understand the history of this, right? I've seen people on social media go on, on tangents, I, even I was like, I, I got a degree in this, I never heard of this. <laughs> reason why this person is on this tangent. But I think for the most part, if you use this language, then people would assume this, because this is the language of people who have oppressed people or have said terrible things to people. And, and this is what this language is saying about you. And most people say, oh my God, I don't want that to be is not what I want people to think I'm thinking. Right. And right. And so that can happen. I think in the course of the day, sometimes we all may have said something and not understand the impact of what our words have on a person, be it we all have to kind of think about sometimes how we, we're in this unique space of race, gender, sexuality, and sometimes we not focus on every word we say sometimes, but sometimes the words that we say have tremendous impact on people around us, on their quality of life, on their belief in the school, and their belief in the workforce. And so if we can tweak some of that and let people feel like they're safe and comfortable in the environment by just tweaking some of our language, then I think that's a small price to pay. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about social media, which you just mentioned, and the role that's playing, because it seems like, in my opinion, it seems like it's causing more problems as far as communication in some cases, because people don't put a lot of thought into what they're tweeting or Facebooking. What are your thoughts about that? I think it's a multi-billion dollar business to pit people against each other. Mm-hmm to stoke the fires, to do that, because that shoots up ratings, right? It shoots up viewership, right? Me and you are having this really peaceful conversation and we're learning about things together, but if you were confronting me about critical race theory and I was shouting back at you, man, the pot cycle would shoot up to the, to the <laughs> roof, right? I mean, Number one that's tomorrow. That's what people want, right? They, 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 want, they want gladiators battling each other, like, mm-hmm. are you entertained? Right. <laughs> so so there's, a, there's a lot to that, right? And so, but what we got to do is kind of take a step back and say, let's analyze this through, through a different prism. Let's see what are we saying about this or that, right? I think on a lot of issues, there is some issue of there is a cancel culture for certain people. There should be more teachable moments for opportunities for people to grow and develop when people make mistakes. There should be some room for growth. I do believe that there are opportunities to have a discussion and a debate without it going to the extremes, I think. But people want blood, right? People want to debate things and people want to put things into the prism of politics because all of this 
galvanize voters. It, it it does all this other stuff. But it, but it does what it does. The effect of that is is that it impacts people, right? It, it makes conversations harder to have. It makes it difficult to come to a better understanding about why things are important and what are people's concerns. And so as we boost our ratings, as we push our viewership, as we get more uh, Twitter followers, we have a higher price to pay as a society. I agree, absolutely. And I also think, based on observations that I've made, that Facebook and, and all of those companies certainly need to do more they say, you know, we we promote diversity, inclusiveness on our platforms, but the evidence doesn't seem to support that. And particularly during the pandemic with the fact that, you know, we couldn't have face-to-face conversations. Everything was magnified because of the isolation and at least that's sort of coming to an end and, you know, we can start to have face-to-face interaction again but i don't think that lets those companies off the hook you know what i mean it, it doesn't and and we have done things just taking infowars for instance one of the stories that infowars did pre-pandemic was when the flood hit houston they were saying that there were black people going into this predominantly white neighborhood and attacking people and then people in the neighborhoods you know, uh, scared, and then there was this guy who was like, I live in this neighborhood, and there are people here to help us. They're, they're our black neighbors. What are you talking about? Yeah. People just trying to, to survive. So they were speeding this hate, right? And then people, just imagine you trying to, to do that, and you and people are saying to other people, why are you pointing a gun at my neighbor? This guy is just is helping me. Why you, right. why did you come from another community to point a gun at my neighbor, right? They had to tell people that this stuff was just hogwash right and the and the same thing about facebook spreading the rumor that the pizza place was a pedophile place and you point a gun at a teenager at a pizza place and take me to your basement it's like this is a slab foundation we don't have a basement right and someone could have died right that could have been mm-hmm. just this massive slaughter because people were passing this story that this was a pedophile eating place right pedophile slaughtering kids now and to me if you if if this person really was feeding into facebook and other things people telling him day after day that children are dying and he felt like he just was not gonna hear this anymore he wanted to be this hero right but somebody should have policed that someone should have said stepped in and said that this is just a piece of store right but they let these things circulate to the point that it becomes a reality to someone and when that becomes a reality to someone things happen and so yeah I, I do believe that there has to be some sense of corporate responsibility with spreading these kind of things because the ramifications are just can be and are devastating absolutely we saw similar things here last summer with black lives matter protests and very predominantly white communities. I'm thinking of Penn Argyle, which is in Northampton County and Palmerton specifically, with, you know, viral disinformation on platforms like Facebook about protesters coming in and, and 
planning to loot stores and the local residents showed up armed to the teeth and if it weren't for a huge police presence there would have been violence i'm positive of that so the real world consequences can be terrifying it can be and it's scary and it's very very scary going back to what you're doing at at Northampton now, what are some of the initiatives that you're working on to to make it a more equitable environment uh, for everybody? Well, even before I got I got here, the institution that implemented a diversity strategic plan. It was worked on through the institution, through shareholders, about different areas of improvement for the institution. Even before I got here, a plan was already laid out to try to make the institution more diverse, to emphasize better strategies for recruitment and retention. So there's a lot of different things in our strategic plan, even before I got here. So the plan was already laid out, and so my job was just to make sure that we implement the plan and and work with constituents within that plan. So we're really excited about kind of going through the steps, making sure that we have done different things on the strategic plan. Also, we have a diversity committee that's meeting, that's coming up with other things that we, we're trying to address. So we really are very excited about the future at NCC. And the future, the thing about diversity too, is it is the, it's the moral decision, but it's the, it's the great decision for an institution, right? Growing demographics. So this is a great economical choice for us as well. As we become more diverse, the more student body, uh, the, the America is becoming more diverse institution. So we are wanting to tap into a growing diverse population, right? So that's the future for NCC. It's going to be a very diverse Pennsylvania, uh, very diverse America, and we want to be a part of the future of, of the state. I think that's awesome. Are, are there any ways that the community can support you or support the, the college? Because it is a community college in these yes. efforts. Yes. What we need, to, what we always want is to is to give us a chance, right? If you are, if you're a non-traditional age person and you're trying to think about career choices, think about community college. If you if you're looking at options for your kids, think about us. Think about us for yourself, right? I think we had a really interesting point right now that what the future looks like for us. Like, so we have a lot of different options for a lot of different people. We have the academic track for people to get their social degrees, and some of those social degrees lead into direct careers. And then we have certificate programs that lead directly into careers. So we have a lot of options for people who are trying to figure out what's next. And we have navigators, which I think is really, we have navigators, we have people who will sit with you to work out your plans for the future, which I think is just amazing investment as an institution, right? We have all these navigators who not just help you with your schedule, but kind of help you through the process, which I think is makes us a very special institution. So I wish I had navigators. Me I too. Was right? <laughs> I was just thinking um, that. I wish I had one. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Robert Robinson, for joining us. It's been oh, a pleasure. Oh, this has been an incredible opportunity to talk about something I'm passionate about. I'm, I'm, I'm so honored that you gave me an opportunity on your platform. So thank you. Absolutely. We hope to uh, keep in touch.
Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm happy to come anytime. It's been a great opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sockandsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Thank you.